Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Uh, So go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Psalm chapter 12, the 12th Psalm. Another one of the short ones, but uh, plenty of good stuff here. So it says, uh, I'm using the New King James for this evening's study, and the heading reads, Man's Treachery and God's Constancy to the Chief Musician on an Eight-Stringed Harp, and uh, the the subtitle or the note down there reads, The Sheminith. So an Eight-Stringed Sheminith. I don't know if you've got one of those, but play it for the Lord. And it says it's a psalm of David. Verse 1 says, Help, Yahweh, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own, who is Lord over us. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. Uh Uh-oh, they made God stand up. Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of Yahweh are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Mm. I do love that title that the New King James gives this uh, psalm, Man's Treachery and God's Constancy. And this is another, probably the number one kind of psalm there is, is trouble and trust psalms. And I just can't tell you how much the psalms have influenced my own prayer life to go ahead and pour the trouble out to God in, in a context of trusting Him. This is another trouble and trust psalm. Psalm 12 is another chiasmus in the original Hebrew. It's kind of a poetic device. And chiasmus is a form of Hebrew poetry. You know, uh, I have um, uh, seen sonnets before. And, you know, sonnets follow a regular rhythm that they're supposed to have. And in chiastic structure, the first and last thoughts are similar. So that's why on your notes, I believe I've shown you that I put A there and then verse 1, and then down at the bottom it says A and verse 8. So there's a similar thought at the beginning and at the end. And then the next thoughts in kind of parallel each other. Sometimes they express kind of a a comparison by doing the opposite. So in this case, verse 2 is the B uh, in this uh, flow, and verses 6 and 7 are the, the B opposite flow. And then the main take-home thought is often in the center. In this case, uh, what's being highlighted is verses 3 through 5. Now think about the skill it would take to write that kind of poetry, you know, uh, and put it together. And um, David being able to do that, uh, obviously the Holy Spirit uh, works through all the Scripture authors to present God's truth to us. uh, And it is God's perfect and pure truth. Uh, but uh, he uses different uh, literary forms, including poetry and uh, this chiasmus. So the first and last verses contain the phrase sons of men, which are translated as human race in some translations. Vivid descriptions are given of sins spread on earth. And uh, the phrases are very descriptive in verses 1 and 8. What does it say in verse 1? Who ceases? The godly man ceases. 
and the faithful disappear. What does it say in verse 8? The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted. Boy, isn't that the truth? Uh, the spread, the wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted. And that was written 3,000 years ago by David to be sung using an eight-string Sheminith. So what happens when vileness is exalted and the wicked prowl on every side? Well, the godly man ceases and the faithful seem to disappear. Now that's sometimes how it, thinks to, it seems to us. That's not always the case. We're encouraged when we come to church and see brothers and sisters in Christ. We're encouraged by reading about those young folks planting a church out in Portland and that sort of thing. And I remember the time Elijah was real depressed and said, nobody's got it as hard as me. Nobody's being faithful but me. And God said, no, there's 7,000 in Israel who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Now, they had, unfortunately, millions of people living in Israel at the time. And so the fact that that many were off in idolatry did make it very sad. Uh, but I love Paul's, Paul Harvey's quote, in times like these, it helps to remember there have always been times like these. And just when you think, oh, no, there's no hope for America, you see something like this past week with the uh, uh, football story, you know. And um, I don't know if you caught this or not, but uh, the Tennessee Titans and Jacksonville Jaguars, before they played their game today, actually came to the middle of the field and prayed together as two different teams uh, for DeMar uh, from Buffalo Bills, DeMar Hamlin from the Buffalo Bills. And uh, God is getting great glory through that story. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of the ones that hate the idea of prayer, praying uh, visibly in front of others on the football team, teams coming together, those, uh, I'm, I'm sure many godless people right now are just incensed, you know, that the NFL's not shutting this down, but the NFL's got more sense than that, you know, because it's an organic movement among the players and the fans uh, to say, pray for DeMar, and really, let's get back to prayer, period, you know, <laughs> so there's something going on there. But when vileness is exalted, the wicked prowl on every side, the godly man ceases, faithful seem to disappear. I wonder what David would have thought if he could see our day and Americans watching television or looking at the Internet. <laughs> and, of course, there's always been plenty of wickedness on earth. It's just getting here so fast these days. I was reading in Leviticus this past week and got the, to the prohibitions on all sexual behavior uh, except between a husband and wife. And uh, God had to get pretty specific with them, you know. He talks about various forms of incest. He talks about... Uh, other things that the people were doing related to homosexuality and bestiality and things like that. And, um, you know, uh, some of the sinful practices that they'd seen back in Egypt and characterized the Canaanite peoples of the land uh, and were practiced, um, you know, sometimes in Israel uh, were, were just odious uh, in the nostrils of the Lord. In Leviticus 18, God told his people that because the heathen people of the land committed fornication, adultery, had multiple partners, uh, incest, homosexuality, and bestiality, the land was vomiting these people out. It's so picturesque, a, a gross picture. But he said because the people of the land do this, the land is vomiting them out, literally expelling them. And the same would happen to them if they did what the heathen did. So right there as God says it, listen, you're moving in because I'm vomiting them out. Uh, but uh, the land will vomit you out if you do those same things. And it's a, a tremendous picture to think of America in the midst of all of our different kind of sexual sins and idolatries and things. Um, because unfortunately, over time, God's people did engage in many of those things. We think of Moses coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and Israel was right there committing sexual sin. In the time of the judges, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. I mentioned some more things this morning. But David saw the sin in his day, and he wants God to reign in the land the way the Bible calls for. And um, we certainly do, too. Um, 
the time did come when Israel went into captivity. They were vomited out of the land, uh, in part because of their practicing the same things the heathens had done that were there before them. And, um, you know, uh, we, we need to do more than sing, God bless America. We need to do the things that God can bless uh, as individuals, as churches, as a nation. Well, the second verse describes the words of the wicked men, while the sixth and seventh verses describe the pure words of the Lord. So he starts and ends talking about, uh, you know, uh, wickedness spreading. Uh, And then in verse 2 and then verses 6 and 7, he contrasts wicked words with uh, pure words of the Lord. So again, look at verse 2. It says uh, that, well, basically, instead of being godly and faithful, people in the land are being ungodly and unfaithful. So it says they, they speak idly, with their neighbors. They speak with flattering lips, but with a double heart. So God's word calls us to speak the truth in love, hoping to build people up with God's truth. I was really encouraged by the story Johnny told a minute ago. You know, just a positive, uh, godly interaction that's drawing somebody toward Christ. Um, and that is the opposite of, uh, of um, idle words. You know, those are words that can build people up, you know. Uh, the opposite of flattering uh, you know, um, sometimes people talk about a problem and somebody says, oh, you're all right, it's okay, you know, and, and to just kind of go in there gracefully and say, well, h- how bad do you want to change? Is this when you want to change? I can give you some thoughts to help you do that, so that's neat. Um, so David's listening to people talk. He, You know, kings hear a lot from the palace too, you know, and they have people come and tell them what's going on. And so much of what David is hearing as he listens to his citizenry is talk that's idle words and duplicitous words. And certainly, there's just a lot of mindless chatter, you know, on radio uh, and TV and in hallways. And uh, I talked to a dear lady recently, and, um, you know, uh, somehow some of her uh, people she knows found out about a sin that she repented of 25 years ago. And uh, they're throwing it in her face now, you know, and it's causing quite a hardship for her at work, this gossip and things. And she's got it right with the Lord, got it right with everybody she needed to. And yet these uh, turkeys have found out and they're bringing it up now. And that's just like Satan, isn't it? Isn't it just to keep on bringing up that which is already under the blood? But uh, what are man's impure words contrasted with in verses 6 and 7? The pure words of the Lord, right? Uh, and as, as I think you know, whenever Lord in the Old Testament is capitalized like that, it is Y-H-W-H, it's Yahweh, uh, the sacred name. And uh, so Lord, lowercase uh, in the Old Testament is Adonai. And so um, out of reverence for the name, they would put the vowels from Adonai with the continents of Yahweh, and that's where Yehovah comes from. So you get your Y in there. It's not really a J. It's a Y, Yah. Um, so it's not uh, Jacob. It's Yaakov. <laughs> uh, and um, Yehovah is how uh, the, the holy name is said. And, of course, our Jewish Jehovah, I mean, our Jehovah's Witnesses friends then insist that the only name you can call God by is Jehovah, when in reality there's no such word. It's a word of convenience to say Yahweh without saying the sacred name for our uh, Jewish friends. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, God's words are like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Now let me ask you guys, does anybody here have any... Um, uh, any, any uh, experience um, in melting something like gold or silver down? 
Anybody ever done any of that? Um, I know Gary and I saw a pretty cool uh, metalworking process over in Taiwan, a master, uh, you know, Master Wu is his name. And he, uh, so the island we were on, it's actually in some new things now because China's basically circling all around it and uh, it's so close to the mainland that uh, China wants to take it back and take it over and stuff. You know, they want to do that for all of Taiwan. And these cats uh, on Jimin Island, man, they're right there. And we had a great ministry trip there with Mark Hefner. But uh, for 20 years, every other day, China uh, shot, this is past, but in the past, it was in the 60s and 70s, they shot mortar shells onto the beach uh, and into the uh, whole area on Jimin Island. So every other day, and China was good enough, it was, it was psychological warfare, they were good enough to stay on that schedule. So you'd have a day above ground, and then the people of Jimin Island would spend a day below ground on shelling days, they'd all go underground. They did that for 20 years. One day above ground, one day below ground, didn't they? That's what they said. And uh, Master Wu got these uh, instruments of destruction, and he brings them in, melts them down, refashions them into kitchen knives and swords, and all of us that went on that trip came home with a cleaver or something, you know, that represented that. Um, but uh, so when he's st- saying that God's words are like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times, he's, at, he's, he's talking about something that probably they at some point had seen something like it, especially David in his knowledge as a king. But if you submitted silver to the fire or gold to the fire, any impurity, what happens is the heat kind of burns it away. With gold, there's dross. With silver, is there dross also? I think there is. Didn't they talk about silver dross? Yeah, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah, you skim it off, and, and, and each time you do that, it makes the product even purer. Um, and so it makes it more valuable every time because you get rid of the impurities, and what is left is just purity, Right. So now, if you did that seven times, it'd be pretty awesome, you know, it'd be pretty pure. Now, David's searching for ways to connect with us, the reader, and his audience to get us to think about how great God's words are. Obviously, God's words are 100% pure, no impurities left in them at all, but David's getting them to think about this exaggerated all the way out to seven times of getting to the silver so it's the absolute purest silver it could possibly be. Uh, So if you did that seven times, it would be perfect. The number seven is used here to represent perfection. So just like in the Bible, uh, when we get to the book of Revelation and sevens are telling us when it says that there are seven spirits, uh, it's, it's just a reference to the one Holy Spirit. And, but it's saying that this is perfect God. This is God the Spirit, perfect Spirit. Here it's talking about God's words being perfect. So what is Psalm 12 saying? God's word is pure. God's word is perfect. All of it. The doctrines it gives us. Uh, doctrines of God, doctrines of men. The character of God it reveals. All the things it tells us about his uh, creative power and his awesomeness and him being holy and just and loving and good and all those different things. 
the testimony of how God has acted in time, responding to prayers, uh, responding to praise, uh, responding to human obedience, responding to human disobedience. It's got testimonies in it. Psalm 119 later is going to make a big deal of all these different words about God's word and how it's like statutes and testimonies and uh, all these different things, the doctrines. Uh, it's pure when it tells us God's heart for people and his willingness to forgive the repentant, the good and bad examples from flawed humans as they followed or rejected God, the commands it gives us, all pure, the promises it gives us. David might have those promises in mind when he gets into verse 7. You shall keep them, O Lord. The words of the Lord, you shall keep them. You'll do what you've said you'll do, God. You will uh, fulfill promises. You will fulfill uh, warnings that you've given out. It's possible, verse 7 is also, when it talks about keeping and preserving, is popping back up to those who are oppressed and needy and turn to the Lord. But I think here it's still in this couplet where it's talking about that um, God is the ultimate promise keeper. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, we do the best we can. We uh, hope to be 100% follow, you know, good in our follow-through. But even the best of us has, oh, golly, I forgot to. I told you I'd do that, and I didn't. I didn't keep my word. You know, God's never like that. Uh, God will always keep his word. You can take it to the bank. You can build your life around it. He will keep his words. He'll do exactly what he has said. He'll reward or judge. He'll bless or curse as appropriate. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. Uh, so if indeed this is still about God's words being perfect, and God says in verse 7, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. If he's talking about his pure word, which is what I think, then think about all the ways God's word is constantly attacked in a sinful and vile generation. Um, in our generation, you know, as well as David's. Uh, people turn away from God, and then they call bad good and good bad. Prophet Isaiah said, woe to the nation who calls bad good and good bad. You know, I grew up with that mindset. You're supposed to call things bad. Man, that's bad. You mean it's good? No, it's bad. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I mean good. You know, and oftentimes what was bad, what we were calling good that was bad, many times was uh, something racy in a movie or, you know, or something like that, you know. Uh, and um, so uh, we... Uh, learned to uh, reinforce things that were against God's word, and generations do that. Uh, you're all familiar with the statistics. Um, if you go to the oldest generation, more likely to believe and define things the way the Scripture does. And I think there's four or five generations in America right now. By the time you get down to the youngest, the younger you go, the more rejection there is of God's teaching and his word. So what God says about human sexuality, absolutely rejected by the youngest generation, uh, largely affirmed by the oldest generation, uh, and any number of different things. Um, and so in that context, I love what verse 7 says, God, you'll preserve them, you'll preserve your words from this generation forever. <laughs> you know. Uh, and I think about how many godless and wicked uh, civilizations there have been throughout time. Uh, Rome, when the gospel got there, was a lot like... Um, the nation is currently in America and the West is. They affirmed all manner of wickedness. They had very little regard for human life. Abortion happened all the time. Uh, they usually waited till the baby was born then did infanticide and put it by the side, but they had cheapened value for human life. Uh, Two-thirds of the people uh, in the city of Rome and the Roman Empire were slaves, uh, so they had that going on, cheapening and, and degrading human value. Um, 
you know, uh, you, you name it. Uh, homosexuality was rampant. Nero, um, you know, dressed up as a, uh, you know, uh, he, he married, he had a mock wedding of himself and a boy. You know, he killed multiple family members, uh, parents, wives, uh, you know, children and things like that to try to hold on to his throne. Wickedness was exalted. And um, so, but God says, you will preserve your word from this generation forever, the pure words. Let God be true and every man a liar. So it's going on uh, from there. Um, so what's the clear contrast between the words of men and the words of the Lord presented in this pairing of concepts? If you take verse 2 and then verses 6 and 7. Anybody want to weigh in there? I know what I think. <laughs> you can't really trust the words of men because they're often impure and self-serving. And that's what he's basically saying there. Men will uh, do, say, speak self-serving words. They'll try to get ahead themselves at the expense of truth. But you can trust the word of God because he tells you the, poor tr the pure truth you need to live by. So on the one hand, people will lie to you. They'll tell you what you want to hear, but, they, but then they can't. They can and do turn on you in a heartbeat. David has seen that in his own life. But according to verse 7, God tells us the truth so that if we embrace it, he will use it to guard and protect us from the pitfalls of this generation. Well, that leads us to the middle verses, uh, which is really where the, the poetic uh, force of the uh, uh, psalm brings us. The middle verses of 3, 4, and 5 show the punishment God will pour out on the wicked and the deliverance he will give the oppressed. There's your fill in the blank, the word deliverance. So look at verse 3. It says, May Yahweh cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Verse 4 shows that wicked men trusting in his ability to use his words to get and keep power. So it shows that flattering-lipped, uh, proud tongue using words uh, to get and keep power. David's prayer is that those wicked lips and tongues will get cut right out of their mouth. <laughs> You know, wouldn't that be something if that's the way it really was, you know, that the moment uh, we started to lie or to um, slander somebody uh, or say something that's just not true, uh, you know, old Pinocchio, his nose would, would grow, right? So they knew he was lying. But wouldn't it be something if uh, every time that we started in on a lie or an untruth, um, somehow... You know, God put a little tear in our tongue and we started bleeding. <laughs> so you could just visibly say, oh, that guy's a liar, man. You'd see those politicians speaking and all of a sudden they'd be bleeding all up and putting the thing up to their face and stuff. Um, so it's a, a picture, David, uh, basically um, calling uh, for them to um, uh, have their flattering lips cut off and the tongue uh, cut out that speaks proud lies. Um God pictures God breaking through all this in the middle of the psalm in verse 5. He says, okay, these people with their tongues, it says, verse 5, for the oppression of the poor and for the sighing of the needy. So, um, and he's thinking here specifically about the poor followers of the Lord, uh, those Israelis that were besieged on every side. For the sighing of the needy. Sometimes all you can do is sigh. The things around you are just overwhelming, and you sigh, you know. Uh, if you've been the parent of a prodigal, uh, you sigh a lot. If you, um, 
you know, just concerned about the direction of the nation. You wind up reading a newspaper or watching the TV and seeing these things and you sigh, you know. Um, you uh, almost without even speaking the prayer of the psalmist, how long, O Lord, how long until you do something about this comes into mind. When you see, uh, you know, there's a sigh. You know, when, when you see the news from the last month or two, you know, enough fentanyl in America to uh, kill every American there is. Um, you're just heartbroken, you know. When, when you see, uh, you know, the growing number of people that it's so wonderful. God, you know, so many people are turning to homosexuality and transsexual behavior and stuff like that. It's wonderful to see an increasing number of testimonies of people being saved and coming out of those things. I hope you have uh, some good Christian news sources where you're almost every week seeing another testimony of somebody uh, coming out of the homosexual lifestyle or coming out of the transsexual lifestyle, trying to rebuild their truth. But you're so sad. Some of these 20-somethings are now suing uh, hospitals and doctors and things like that. They were like, I was 15. And you didn't stop me from cutting body parts off. You know, I needed you to be, I needed better advice, parents. I needed better advice, you know, uh, doctors. And, and you just did it, you know. Uh, and I couldn't even talk to people about it. Uh, so there's an increase in those kind of testimonies and stories. And even lawsuits coming. And they need to come. Because it's insane. Some of the countries over in Europe are smartening up. They're wising up and saying, we're not going to do that. Uh, even while America's doubling down on that, you know, through its political uh, leaders and things like that. So for the oppression of the poor, those that don't get it, for the sighing of the needy, Yahweh says, now I will arise. I just love that picture because we've already seen a psalm or two where the psalmist said, Lord, arise. We need you to show up. America needs you to show up, Lord. We, you know, we don't deserve you showing up because we've got our hand against you. But we're just clinging to the promise of uh, Genesis where Abraham uh, said, Lord, uh, would you spare the city if there were this many righteous people? And uh, Abraham knew in his mind there wasn't 50 people down in Sodom. So he said, Lord, how about for 40? <laughs> got him all the way down to 10. And he said, well, I start with, I think I start with uh uh, Lot's there, and Mrs. Lot's there, and his uh, daughters, and they're married. Man, they're probably halfway just if they're serving the Lord. And uh, so ten, and God says, I'll say, I'll spare it for ten. And uh, Abraham needed to go a little lower, <laughs> down to, what if just Lot? We, we spare it just for Lot, because I think he's uh, still righteous, even though uh, he went over there and lived in Sodom and Vegas and stuff. Um, but I love the times that uh, you see that intercession, and we're to be intercessors for our city, for our uh, uh, states, for our country. Um, and I love the psalmist prayer where he says, arise. Well, here God says, now I will arise. How's that read in another translation, Gary? How does yours read? Psalm 12. Uh, are you, which one are you using? Yeah, I'm King James. Okay, is it any different than the King James? How does uh, uh, the verse, read verse 5. It says, for the, for the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Okay, so pretty close to the New King James there. Anybody have a, a different one? 
Okay. Sometimes we have some ESVs around, like I'm using on the Sunday mornings and NIVs and things. Um, so I love it. God says, I will rise. Well, partly he's arising because people have been praying, David and others, praying for him to rise. But God has his way of showing up at just the right time. So you, just, you see what's happening here? The wicked keeps on smooth talking and gets into more trouble with God. So there's your fill in the blank. The righteous doesn't know what to say, but groans to God, sighs to God, and is brought to a safe place. And I love that David wrote that before the cross of Christ before the Holy Spirit began permanently indwelling all true believers. Um, the way the Spirit helped David have perspective and pray is now one of the greatest resources we have as we pray. And that's why I included Romans 8 in here for you, which says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in all our weaknesses. For we do not know how we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Boy, there's so much there. Who else do we know from Romans 8 and Hebrews, um, the book of Hebrews? Who ever lives to make intercession for us? Christ himself, right? Uh, let me see if I've, uh, I think I'm going to read Hebrews 7. Uh, 25 it says therefore Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them so we know that Jesus died for our sins he rose from the dead he ascended back to heaven and sometimes believers talk about his present intercession and so we have our Savior and Lord up in heaven interceding for us according to uh, what he wants to happen in our lives. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. So he's praying that we say no to lesser things, throw away our idols, and more and more conform to his image. He's guaranteed by his redemption that that will happen. But this, uh, Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit is inside of us also interceding. So Christ is in heaven physically, but he's inside of us spiritually. The Spirit of Christ is inside of us trying to connect us and woo us to God's greater plan for our lives. And sometimes we don't even know how to pray as we ought. We can just say, Lord, I know, uh, you know my prodigal's life is not right. Lord, I know that uh, there's just some wickedness in political places in our country right now. Uh, I, I don't know how to pray uh, because... Uh, you know, it's just, it's above my pay grade, so to speak, you know. Um, and so sometimes, you know, I mean, parents want to pray for safety for their children. But we want them to be right with God more than we want them to be physically safe. And so sometimes, you know, we don't ever want to pray for harm to come to our children that we love. But... We do want to yield to the Lord and say, Lord, I know you have all kinds of things at your disposal to help get my child on track with you. And that includes the kind of adversity I could never bring into their life. You know, I can be tough with them. I can cut them off and, you know, things like this. And you can, too. Um, but uh, sighing and groaning, according to the will of God, uh, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying. A parent gets to that point and they say, Lord, I just want them to be right with you. And if that means hardship that, uh, 
it's going to mean some tough other things for them than, Lord, I, your will be done. But that's a groan. That's a sigh. We, we're, what we're really praying for is just to God to figure it all out. We want it all to happen for them. We want them to prosper now and their soul be right, you know. And God sometimes will allow leanness uh, to make that very thing we're praying for happen. Um, you know, uh, God raises up kings and rulers. He tears down kings and rulers. Um, and so he tells us specifically, pray for those in authority. What do we pray? First Timothy 2 tells us, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we pray for the president, senators, and congresspeople, governors, mayors, uh, council members, others. We pray for them to be saved if they're not and come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, and sometimes we just know something's wrong uh, like a fentanyl crisis or something like that, and probably involves some political decisions around the border, you know, probably involves revival and awakening, revival in churches, awakening in the land, probably involves education campaigns from our rulers, probably involves them getting tough on lesser drugs rather than being open to lesser drugs because it just keeps on escalating. Drug use leads to more drug use, leads to more drugs. I'm already out of what I know, you know. And so that's a grown prayer. Lord, we, we got a problem in America, and, and it's going to kill so many of our young people and others. It's already affecting Danville and every city and place in the nation, just like we've seen with meth before and other things. Um, we got a crime problem, you know. Um, can't put everybody in jail, you know, or can you? I don't know. But, Lord, we got a crime problem, and, and it's obviously uh, more than, um, you know, uh, We've, we've learned how to tackle so far. It does involve being tough on crime. It involves going back and uh, getting uh, kids to appreciate the value of work and starting with working for things. It's also a revival and awakening issue. Um, boy, we could talk about all kinds of things. Some of them are just groans. Lord, we know something needs to happen. We're going to gather our best of our mental facilities around voting times and stuff like that so we make uh, votes that seem to help the situation and stuff. But some we just groan. And, of course, our heart aches most of all for revival in the churches and awakening in the land so that America continue to be a blessing to the world. And uh, that's why, you know, I, I want to grow the tabernacle for lots of reasons. Uh, but one of the main reasons I want to keep growing the tabernacle and reaching people for Christ is so that we can keep sending, you know, money to missionaries so they can do what they do uh, around the world. Because it's pretty neat that here in Danville is a church that every four years gives a million dollars to missions, you know. And I want to keep that going. Um, I don't want to lose it on my watch, you know, and stuff like that. So anyway... Um, it's good to know that for all the asking we've seen in the Psalms and the asking we do now for God to arise, for God to act, sometimes he acts because people repent. Sometimes he acts just because people are praying and just a few are, you know, we're told that the, uh, I I'm amazed at Sodom. We know there wasn't 10 righteous people there. But God says, I'm going to judge that wicked city because the outcry against it is great well who's crying out against it abraham knows how wicked it is he's praying about it but he's praying for uh, god to be merciful to it lots living right in the thing and we know uh, that that's a certain amount of oppression involved in that and uh, lots praying lord this place needs jesus or judgment you know <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's uh, and God says, now I will rise. And he rescues Lot out of there, even as he judges the city. Makes us think of the rapture. We'll be rescued out, and then judgment will come for those that haven't turned to Christ yet at that point. Um, and so we just need to sigh and groan and pray. But uh, thank the Lord, Psalm 12 presents God as saying, I will arise. Well, let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.